please grab your Bible and open it up to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 we begin today. It's on page 987 if you got one of our Bibles. And if somebody asks you, well, how, how long has that church there, Compass Bible Church, been going on? I hear it's a new church. How long has they been, have they been going there? Well, we've been going basically two pages in my Bible. That's how far we've gotten so far, everybody right here. Um, that's how we do it here at our church. As we pick the book of the Bible, we started with 1 Thessalonians because it's about a church that's a new church, that's a good example of a church. And we've gone through every single line and phrase now, and we're working on our fifth chapter, which is just two pages printed out here. And I think it's so important, and I hope everybody understands why we do this, that we're letting the Bible choose which sermons we're going to preach here at this church. I don't, I'm not sitting every week, you know, just kind of uh, pondering life and asking myself, what do I feel like preaching this week, well, that's going to be an easy question, because I'm a sinner saved by grace, and so if it was up to me, I'd want to keep preaching about grace, and you'd probably want to keep hearing about grace. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Never get tired of hearing the good news that Jesus died for my sin and rose again so I can have eternal life, but here's the problem. We don't want me picking what we're going to preach every week. No man, I know myself, and I just know I would tend to go to the topics that I like, and probably there would be a temptation to go to the topics that I know you like, because when you're preaching, you usually like it if people like the sermon more than they hate the sermon, okay? That's how it works. And so the beauty of going through the Bible, just taking a book of the Bible at a time, and just going through one passage after another to see what it says, is that God gets to pick the passages that we preach on here at this church. He inspired them, Paul wrote them, the Thessalonians received them, and we're just working our way through them. And you're going to see the benefit of doing this today, because we're going to talk about a topic today that is not a topic you would pick if you were preaching a topical sermon, okay? This is not something anybody really wants to think about, wants to talk about. Most people live their entire lives in denial that anything like this is ever even going to happen. But look and read what God has said is going to happen here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to take the whole big first chunk to read. We're only going to get through the first three verses this morning. But read all the way down to verse 11 with me, starting in verse 1. It says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now we have a heading here above chapter 5 that refers to this as the day of the Lord. 
So this is the day that God himself has decided to put his name on. This is a phrase that is referred to throughout the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, particularly in the books of the Old Testament that we don't read that much or refer to that much these days. Books like the prophets and the minor prophets. If you read those books, it refers to the day of the Lord all of the time. And what the day of the Lord is, is a time of judgment that is coming upon the entire world. Often we think of judgment as if people die, and depending upon whether they have their faith in Christ or not, they might go to heaven or hell, and we've been talking about that here lately. But what the Bible actually says is there's going to come a time where people won't even die, but God will just bring his judgment, and he will pour it down upon our planet. And that time is referred to as... The day of the Lord. Is anybody understanding now why no one would choose this topic, right? Why would you preach on this? Well, this is what's going to happen. That's why you would preach on it. It's what God has said. Now, this day of the Lord is going to come, and it gives us two similes in our text. Now, you might, might remember what a simile is all the way back from your earliest days of education. It's a phrase that begins with like or what's the other one? As, see? So like or as. So we've got, first of all, that you're aware in verse 2 that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, which you might have heard before, okay? The day of the Lord, this time of judgment upon the world, and if, if you want to write down the day of the Lord, I mean, it really kind of starts in Revelation chapter 6, but the, really the day of the Lord refers to the end of the judgment, which would be more like Revelation 16, 17, 18, yeah, that's, it's this terrible time coming that we call the tribulation, seven years, but really the day of the Lord is really primarily the end of that time. Just a time of terrible, horrific judgment upon the earth. And it says that this time is going to come like a thief in the night. And the main idea there is he's going to take you by surprise. He's going to come when you're not expecting it. That's how a thief would work. Okay? Now, I have never had anyone break into my house at night, okay? Uh, I, I don't know if you have. If you have, that would be a great story to share over donuts and coffee after, after the sermon because it's biblical today, okay? Uh, but I've never had anybody uh, come into my house at night. But it's interesting because I've often thought about it, and I've even had conversations with other men about this. Any of you men had conversations about, like, being the man of the house, and if somebody broke into my house, what would I do to him, you know, to defend my wife and my family? I've had ridiculous conversations with men about this. And we usually end up talking about guns and who's got the biggest gun and would you really shoot someone or, or if they came in your house. I was in a conversation the other day. I don't know how I got there. You ever find yourself in the middle of a conversation? You're like, how did I get to this place, right? Where a guy was telling me if somebody, you know, broke into his house and they left the house, he would chase them down in the street. And I was like, I don't know if I would do that, bro. And we were debating about that. And then he said, not only would I chase them down, after I apprehended them, I would drag them back to my house. I was like, I thought the whole problem was they were in your house. I thought that was the, the bad thing, right? Uh, I was talking to one of my good friends here at the church, and I said to him, do you ever think about someone breaking into your house as I was preparing for this sermon? He said, no, I don't think about it at all. And I'm like, didn't you just buy a, a shotgun at your house? What do you mean you never thought about it? He's like, oh, yeah, I guess that's totally why I bought that shotgun. So this is idea of a thief in the night is something that we think about. And we don't know when they're coming, so we get this idea, at least this is what I do every night at my house, we have this time where we shut it down, where we close all the curtains, where we make sure all the windows are, and the doors are locked. Do you have this time at your house? Because when you don't know when the thief is coming, then the idea is that you always need to be ready. See? 
you're ready all the time. That's why we have alarm systems. That's why we lock doors, because we don't know when the thief is coming. So we always need to be ready. Now look here in uh, verse 3. <coughs> Excuse me. And you'll see our second simile. Sudden destruction will come upon them as, I know some of you guys are not going to enjoy talking about this, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Isn't that annoying when you're trying to watch TV and all of a sudden somebody goes into labor and they start shouting and you're like, this is awkward. Why are we showing this? You know what I mean? We have some very pregnant women in this service right now, maybe even going into labor as I preach to you. We, we have that. Now, now, you know physically that it's coming. The day is coming. You can tell we're getting near to the day as the, as the size of the belly increases. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? But you don't still know when exactly it's going to happen. You can see that we're getting closer, but you don't really know when. This is the idea of the day in the Lord. Now, this is what everybody wants to talk about. The point here is you don't know, so be ready. That's the point of the sermon. But what everybody wants to talk about is, but, but really, when do you think it's going to happen, you know? You think it's going to happen when Hillary Clinton gets elected? Is that when is it? That, it sounds like it could be, you know? I mean, that's what everybody really wants to talk about is when is it going to happen? And so he says right away in verse 1, look at this. We've got our similes here to think about this. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Okay, That's not what we're here to talk about is the times and the seasons of when this is going to take place. And one reason that you don't need to have me write to you about that is because Jesus already spoke about that. Go to Matthew 24. Turn back to Matthew 24 and you'll see that Jesus has already been asked this question of when he's going to come back and, and what, how it's all going to work out. And he's already answered it. And, he, and In fact, the whole chapter, really, in Matthew 24, talking about how this is all going to take place. And Jesus, he is uh, getting asked a question here by his disciples. Let's start in Matthew 24, verse 3. And it says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, just this mount right outside of the city of Jerusalem, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Tell us. We're your buddies. We're your disciples. We're the insiders here. Surely you can let us know. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So you can see here that these two similes, Jesus is going to refer to both of them in this chapter. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and they'll put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will fall away, and they'll betray one another, and they'll hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness, sin will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a te testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So he says, hey. I'm not going to answer your question with a direct answer. We're not going to get into the, the time of when this is all going to happen. Let me just give you some of the signs that will let you know the contractions, to use our 
pregnancy analogy here, the contractions that will let you know we're getting closer to the time. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, many false prophets leading people astray, this overall increase of sin and decrease of love for Jesus Christ. Who thinks we're there right now? Anybody else seeing these signs all over the place? Okay. It, just, to, just to stretch the analogy, the belly is growing big, my friends, okay? The, we're, we're already in the, the birth pains see, of the day of the Lord. And it says to us very clearly, Jesus isn't speaking to these guys there at the Mount of Olives 2,000 years ago. He's speaking to us when he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So keep on preaching that gospel. Now jump down later into Matthew 24 to verse 36. Matthew 24, verse 36, because he's going to address this again, this idea of the timing, because it keeps coming up. Everybody wants to know when. In fact, many of the false prophets throughout the history of Christianity or cults that have spun off of Christianity have predicted certain times that Jesus is going to come back. The Jehovah's Witnesses have made a, made a history of predicting the return of Jesus Christ. There's been many false teachers who have who have risen up within Christianity, and they've tried to tell you that Jesus was coming at a certain point. If anyone ever tells you, I know when Jesus is coming back, you know right away that person is a false teacher, and you don't want to listen to that person anymore. Here's what Jesus says right here in Matthew 24, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, okay? Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son. Jesus basically saying he doesn't know, at least not in his earthly state here, but the Father only. And then he gives an interesting analogy here, or actually a historical comparison. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He's like, hey, this whole idea of judgment to come, that's actually one of the oldest stories we have in the history of our planet. I mean, it only took till the sixth chapter of the book of Genesis, just a few pages after God creates the world and says it's good, we fall into sin and the sin is so rampant, so grieving to the heart of God, that God decides he needs to judge the world with a, with a universal flood. And perhaps you've heard this story of Noah and the ark. Definitely not a story for children. I know animals are involved, and that's why we tell it to the kids. But this is a horrific tale of what happens to sin and that God must judge sin and has proven his willingness to do so. I mean, think about this. What the Bible says, the claim that is made here that Jesus backs up as a valid historical event is that this entire world was flooded with water and only eight people and representatives of the animals survived on this ark and God gave the earth a second chance. That's how the earth began. I mean, that's, at the, that's in the genesis of the thing. So this idea of God judging should not be a foreign idea. It should be a familiar idea. It should be something that we think was one of the first things that ever happened on this planet when God had to judge sin. And Jesus says people didn't believe it was going to happen in the day of Noah. They were going through their ordinary lives. They were doing their, what they usually do. They were looking forward to getting married. They were wondering, where am I going to eat lunch today? They were just going through the motions, and that's when the rain came. And that's when things changed, and that's when everyone died except for eight people. So let us not doubt 
the judgment of God. Jesus is saying, no, it's already happened and it will happen again. Jump over to uh, verse 42. Look at verse 42. Therefore, <coughs> therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. You're not going to know the day, but know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour. You do not expect the whole point of knowing the time is we're not going to know the time. And we've been trying to make sure that people are ready. And we've been saying for those of us who are saved, it's going to be great when Jesus comes back because we're going to meet him in the air and we're going to be with him. But the truth is, ready or not, here he comes. Let's get that down for point number one here this morning. Whether people are ready or whether you're not ready, he's going to come like a thief in the night. And so you got to be ready now. The point of this is make yourself ready in the present moment. Make sure that you are ready here this morning. Because a judgment is coming like a flood just sweeping people off of their feet. That is coming so swiftly and so surely that you must, my, my friend, make sure that you are ready. Ready or not, here he comes. And I love playing hide and go seek with my kids. And I love when I say, ready or not, here he comes, because usually one of those little kids will immediately squeal from delight of having their dad come and find them, immediately revealing where they are and ruining the game, right? But it's so exciting, right? Well, there's nothing exciting about this, right? This is, this is scary. This is something that you are supposed to be afraid of. This is something that is supposed to grip you and, and make you pay attention and take heed. There is a promise that you are going to be judged if you are not, keyword of the morning, ready. Now, I've never had anybody break into my house, but I was a youth pastor for many years, and so I have had some young people try to teepee my house before. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. And one thing that happened to me that was of great delight was when one of the dads of the young men who were coming over to TP my house, a friend of mine, decided to give me a call and let me know that they were on their way to my house, right? And so they're creeping up in the bushes. They've got the backpacks full of toilet paper. They're discussing strategy. And I walk up and I say, hey, guys, what's going on, right? To which they drop the backpacks and flee for their lives, right? That's uh, not going to be like that. I mean, if, you, if you're trying to think, well, I'm going to get the upper hand. and I, see, see, here's what we think in our pride. Well, I'll get my life together. I'll have time to get ready before it gets really bad, before I die, before this, whatever this day of the Lord thing is, this judgment, before that all happens, I'll make sure I've got, no, there won't be any time. The thief has already struck. You know when you know the thief went to your house? When you, when you wake up or when you come back to your house and you find that he's already been there. That's when you know the thief came, so. People, you don't have time. Your friends don't have time. Your family doesn't have time. No, the only time that you know that you have is now. And what it says right here, a command from Jesus Christ, is make sure you are ready. Does the thought of judgment coming scare you, or do you know that you will not be judged? Do you know that you will already be raptured up to be with Jesus Christ? This is the question that, that we've got to answer. Go to Acts chapter 1. Another place where it talks about, again, where Jesus, is, the disciples ask, is this the time? Now, this is after the resurrection. So they, they figured out Jesus had to die 
and then he rose again. And so they're thinking, okay, now he's back. He's resurrected. Now must be the time. And so here in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the disciples, they ask the question again. So the time must be now, right? And Jesus is going to answer them again here in Acts chapter 1. And it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you going to return and reign now, now that you've been resurrected? And he said to them, guys, we've been over this. It is not for you to know, again, the two same words in our text, times or seasons. Times is the word you might be able to understand in Greek, chronos, right, from which we get chronology. So like if we're trying to make a, a timeline, or seasons is the word kairos, which might refer to more general periods of time. So it, it's, you don't get to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. That's not for us to know. God knows things, and not all of them are shared with us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And here's what you're supposed to do with the time, if you're ready, is you're supposed to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So you don't know what time it's going to be. So one command from Jesus is to make sure that you're ready. The second command that we get from Jesus about the times is with the time that you have until he comes, go and be one of his witnesses. Hey, if you're ready and you know it, well, then let's spread the readiness. Let's get that readiness out there and make sure that everybody is ready for the judgment to come. Let's get that down for point number two. You need to spread the readiness, okay? This isn't just a concern that I would have. If a, if a terrible judgment is coming upon the whole world that Jesus compares to a flood covering our entire planet, and we know that from 2 Peter chapter 3 that the next time it's not going to be by water, it's going to be by fire. That's what we're talking about, a burning, an uncreating of the world as we know it, to purge it with fire so that there will be a new heavens and a new earth for the eternal state. If that's what's coming, if the whole world is really going to burn, wouldn't I want to let everybody know about that? Wouldn't I want to spread that word? Wouldn't testifying to the coming return of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord, wouldn't that be one of my top priorities in life? To make sure that everybody I know is ready. Not just me, but my spouse, my kids, my neighbors, my co-workers. I want everybody, right? We were knocking on people's doors yesterday, inviting them to church, just trying to be neighborly, letting people around here know that we're here and say, hey, come on down and, and check out what God's doing at our church. And I went up to this one door and there was a sign right there next to the door and it said, firefighters, we have pets, dog and cat. You know what I mean? And I was like, look at these kind people here. If their house is burning up in flames, they even want their animals to get rescued, right? And they're like, firefighters, save our dog save our cat. Man, isn't that where we, how come people seem more excited about their pets being saved sometimes than about the souls of other people? Now go back to our passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So we've seen from Jesus the two points of this morning is one, make sure you're ready because I'm coming whether you're ready or not. And then two is, well, go and be witnesses with the time that we've got. Let's take this message of Jesus and let's spread it all over the world. And that's why it's been 2,000 years, roughly, since Jesus was here until he's come back, is the message has been spread and it is being preached all across the message. And think about how many souls have been saved over 2,000 years of, of, through Jesus' work, through repentance and faith. That's what we're about. Now he says, even though we're going to try to spread the message far and wide, here's what people are going to be thinking. 
while people are saying, look at verse 3. This is fascinating to me. The day of the Lord is coming like a thief, like labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And yet, what are people saying? We've been warned, we've been told that judgment is coming, but what are people saying? There is two words. Say them out loud with me. There is what? Peace and what? Security. Peace and security. And you hear people talking about peace and security here in America? I mean, right away I think about our government. And our government these days, sorry, sorry to bring that up, but let's talk about it here for a minute, all right? Our government these days is going out of its way to assure us that we've got more peace going on in the world right now than pretty much in a long time. Have you heard them saying that kind of stuff? In fact, this week, I was just trying to read what is our president, what is the leader of our nation saying. And this week, he got together with the prime minister of Japan. And this was the 70th, 70th anniversary of when our war with Japan had, had ended, when we made peace. And they were giving remarks together about how Japan and America are now great friends moving forward. And if you go back, you don't have to do this because I did it for you. And you read those remarks, there are two words that pop off the page all over the place from our president and the prime minister of Japan. And what are they telling us over and over that we can have confidence and there's great peace between America and Japan and we're working for security in the Asia Pacific region, i.e. China. We're going to keep those guys in mind in their own business. That's what they're saying over and over. Peace and security. I mean, we've, we've gotten to know our president. I feel like if, even if you haven't shaken his hand, you can act like you, you know a little bit about what Barack Obama is about. And it's pretty clear that he thinks the greatest issue facing the world today is climate change. That's pretty clear if you listen to what he has to say. Have you heard him talk about this before? He came to UCI right over here and he said, if there's one issue I'd like to address this generation about. This was at graduation last year. If there's one issue we really need to talk about. It's how the world is warming up. Slowly, gradually. And it's going to take us all down. Well, the world's going to get really hot, President Obama. And it's going to happen really fast. And that's the great issue of our day. And our government, unfortunately, is not going to address the greatest issue of the human condition. And that is the salvation of souls. That's our job, see? So let's stop griping about our government and let's make sure we're doing what we're supposed to do, which is get the good news of Jesus out in America because we really need it here in America right now. Can I get an amen from anybody there? I mean, let's just, can we get really, I mean, we, we might need to stop recording. Can we get really honest here at the 9 o'clock service, okay? When God flooded the world, okay, when God flooded the world out of judgment for sin, he put a symbol in the sky that he would not judge the world again. A beautiful symbol of his mercy and his grace and the promise that he wanted to give the world a second chance. What is the symbol that God put in the sky? It's beautiful. You ever like seeing a rainbow? It's beautiful. When you see a rainbow in America today, do you think about God's beautiful second chance that he gave to the, the world? And that he's not going to judge the world with water again. So when the rain starts coming down, you don't have to freak out because it's not going to be another universal flood. No, there's the beautiful colors in the sky to let you know God's given you a chance. Is that what the rainbow means anymore in America? We're in the highest court of the land, the Supreme Court of these United States. We are openly debating whether we are going to accept sin as common practice in this nation. And we don't think there's judgment coming. And we don't think there's going to be consequences. God might take America out before the day of the Lord even comes. 
Judgment's coming. While people are talking about peace and security, man, we got sin rampant. Sin is increasing, and the love of many Christian people, man, they're not on fire. Lukewarmness has taken over the church in America. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. So what are you and I supposed to do about it? Should we get discouraged? <coughs> should we grumble about politics and our nation? And what, what should we do? Well, here's what we should do. It's actually maybe the exact opposite of what you would think. It's actually the best thing that you can do to spread the readiness for the judgment that is to come. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Hey, I got a radical thought. What if Christians in America prayed for President Obama as much as they griped about him? What if we prayed for all people in our land that we would see a great turning from sin in our land and that we would be able to lead a, a quiet, godly, and dignified life and that we would be reaching out to our neighbors and we would pray for our co-workers and we would want to see many people come to know what it's like to live this godly life. Are we praying for that here in America? When I call a prayer meeting on Thursday night and I say, hey, Compass Bible Church, our nation is in trouble. Let's gather together and ask God to do something. Let's speak with one voice as God's people to him. How many people are going to come here on Thursday night to pray for our nation? See, we're just not, we're just not doing this. Best thing you can do to spread readiness, to make more people ready for the judgment, is to pray for their souls. Can we write that down? The best thing I can do is pray for souls to be saved. In fact, it says right here, if you keep reading in verse 3, that this is good. It's good when you pray for people, when you pray for your government. It's good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Here's why. Verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, people don't really like sermons like this very much. They call them turn or burn sermons. They call them judgments kind of sermons, right? Well, the truth is, anybody who's ever heard a turn or burn sermon, anybody who's ever heard a sermon about the judgment that is coming, that is an act of mercy right there because what God is giving you is a warning and giving you time to make sure that you are ready. Whenever the Bible, the reason there's so much about the day of the Lord and the judgment to come in the Bible is so that right now people can get ready with God. It may be judgment coming in the future, but the point is salvation in the present. Because does God want to judge people or does God want to save people? Which one? Oh, we've learned here at this church he wants to save people. We've seen God save people here at this church. So let me ask you, when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, in between, how much are you asking God to do what he wants to do? How much do you ask God to save people here in America? Maybe you're mentioning individual names. Maybe you're just praying for people as a whole. Maybe you're coming on behalf of the city of Huntington Beach. Maybe you're coming on, on behalf of our church, that more people here at our church would really genuinely get, get saved. Do we pray about it? Because there's only one hope. Verse 4, God desires all people to be saved. He wants them all to know the truth. And here's the one truth. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. There's one hope for America. There's one leader 
who could unite our nation and turn us around on the right track. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he's not running in 2016. He's in charge right now. And we need to ask him to wake this nation up. Let's pray. Let's pray that God will do something big. You know, there was a great revival in the, in the 1800s, and it started in New York City, and they got this guy. He was just one of the guys at the church, wasn't a pastor, wasn't anybody, and they made him a missionary to the city that they were at. And he had no idea what he was going to do as a missionary. Jeremiah Lamphere, just type in that name, Jeremiah Lamphere, type that into Google, and what will come up is this massive awakening that happened in America. And what he did is he started a prayer meeting there at noon. At lunchtime, anybody who wanted to could come and pray for a great work of God for salvation right there in New York City, in the biggest city in America at that time. <coughs> Excuse me. He called the prayer meeting. Guess how many people showed up for this mighty work of God that was going to change our nation? First day, six people. Six people. And you know what they did? They started praying. And those six people went and they invited more people. And they, the word kept spreading. And pretty, much, pretty soon they, they, uh, they didn't have enough room there at that church for the prayer meeting. And it was just during, during lunch every day. It was an hour long and they couldn't, uh, they couldn't fit everybody. So they started multiple prayer meetings. And pretty soon they were all over the city of New York. And you could start to read about it in the newspapers. Hundreds of people were showing up. What were they doing with their lunch? They were going to pray for God to do a great work of salvation. And you can read about it. It spread throughout the entire nation. There were, there were these prayer meetings going on in every major city to where hundreds of thousands of people were be, being guests estimated to pray every day at one of these prayer meetings. Would you like to see something like that happen in America right now? Well, here's what you got to do to see something like that happen. You got to start asking God to do something like that. You got to pray. And if you are praying, man, we need you. Keep it up. Don't lose heart. Don't get tired. Don't think it's ineffective. And we need prayer warriors. That's a phrase that we need to bring back. We've got to pray for our nation. But, but go to Jeremiah chapter 6. Go to the Old Testament. Because I don't think the biggest problem that we've got in America is our government. I don't, I don't think that our government saying peace and security is maybe even what this is talking about. I think the biggest problem that we have in America is not the government but the church and what the church is saying, or what the church is not saying. And here's an example from Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet to the people of Israel, God's people in the holy city of Jerusalem, the city of David. And Jeremiah told God's people that judgment was going to come, and it was going to destroy their city. That was Jeremiah's message. And eventually, in 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar came in from Babylon, and he wiped out Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah was there to warn people that judgment was coming. And look what was going on at that time. Here's Jeremiah giving God's message of judgment, but yet look at Jeremiah chapter 6, and start with me in uh, verse 13. He's, he's talking about the sins of the nation. And look what he says, For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. Man, sin is rampant in the nation of Israel at this time. Even the prophets and the priests, supposedly the men of God, even those guys are liars, it says. Verse 14, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. 
Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time of my punishment, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. What is God so angry about here? The false message going out from in his name, from his men, where the people who should be speaking on God's behalf are compromising their message, and they're saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. How many churches could you go to this morning within just a few miles of here where you're just going to hear a loving, affirmation kind of message? Your sin is not going to be confronted. We're not going to talk about judgment to come. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about peace and security. Where? At church. We're not warning people to flee from the wrath to come and repent of their sins because the kingdom of heaven is at hand right now. No, church has become a feel-good kind of thing here in America. Can I get an amen for a minute? Is anybody with me on this? Am I the only one who sees this? You guys seeing this too? I mean, who's the, who's the most popular preacher in America right now? What's his name? You can see the smile, can't you? Who can fill a stadium in the name of Jesus Christ in America right now? Joel Osteen. And what does he call himself? You've heard the interview maybe. If you've ever seen him interviewed, somebody will even ask him, hey, you don't say the hard stuff. Hey, you don't talk about the judgment, the sin. And what does he say with his smile, right? I'm just an encourager. I'm just giving a false. He could just say, my paraphrase, I'm just giving a false message of peace, Larry. And the world's loving it. That's what's going on. That's what's going on in America. He's the most popular preacher in our country because every day is a Friday and you can have your best life now. Two lies right there. This is a big problem. How are people going to know? I have met so many people since we've started this church who genuinely do not know the good news of Jesus Christ, the response of repentance, and what it means to put their faith in Jesus. And these people have been going to church for a long time, some of them. And they could not get saved if they wanted to because no one has taught them the truth from the Bible. That's the problem in America. We're not spreading the truth. Go to, go to Jeremiah chapter 23, and you'll see it here again. Jeremiah chapter 23. This is God going off on the prophets in the nation of Israel. Thus says the Lord of hosts. So this is straight from God. Here's what God wants to say through his real prophet, Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. Can you believe that? Here's God basically saying, don't listen to the guys preaching at church. Don't listen to the pastors and all of their topical feel-good messages. Here's God saying, don't listen to the prophets. They're filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And even people who stubbornly follow their own heart, even people who are still in sin, Right now, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. There's open sin happening in churches, and people are being affirmed of their salvation, not confronted in love and warned to turn from that sin. People are being accepted in their sin. That's becoming the mantra of the church. Come as you are, just be a sinner. We're all sinners. We're, we're accepting it. And it says here, it's, it's happening from the pastor's from the preachers. This is a real problem that we have, and that's why I hope that you will be a part of this church, and I hope that God will use us to spread the real message about the day of the Lord. 
And so I want to give you just 10 minutes, if I could right now, of a real Day of the Lord sermon. Can you guys handle a real look at what the Day of the Lord is going to be like? Turn with me to the book of Zephaniah, okay? Let's go straight to the source. There's many Old Testament passages we could go that will describe the Day of the Lord. But let's just go to Zephaniah just because it's my favorite one here. Try to find it there. It's in the middle of all the pages that are still stuck together there in your Bible, page 788 in our Bible, the book of Zephaniah. Anybody willing to admit right now they've never read the book of Zephaniah before? Yeah, you know why you never read it? Because no one at church is teaching it. And that's a big problem. That's a big problem because there's no way anybody's doing devotions with their Starbucks vanilla latte, right? And, and their, their hipster journaling notebook over here, right? And, and being like, oh, yeah, let's just, let's just get into Zephaniah this morning. Just see what God says to me, right? Okay, well, let's see what God says to us from the book of Zephaniah. And this is, again, about he was, a, he was at the same time as Jeremiah warning God's people that judgment was coming. And you can see it's, it's a big judgment. Start with me in verse 2. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. How's that for an attention getter, huh? I mean, he's, he's referring to the language of creation when God created the fish, when God created the birds, and how God created the beasts and man. He's basically referring to an uncreation here. Jump on down to verse 7. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7. Be silent before the Lord God. Be silent before the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is, what does it say there? The day of the Lord is judgment is coming upon us. It's so real. It's so sure that the judgment is coming. It's like it's right next door. It's like it's, it's almost here. Now, let's just jump down and get straight to the heart of it in verse 14. I just want to read this, and I want you to think about this, that this is something that God wanted Zephaniah to write so that his people would hear this. The great day of the Lord is near. It's near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. We have way underestimated the problem of our sin. We have way underestimated God's wrath against our sin, my friend. This is from God. A great day of judgment is coming upon the planet, and I will bring distress on mankind. Why? Because they have sinned against me. It must be done. Judgment will come. That's the message. And if, you are gonna, if, you, if you're coming here this morning and you're feeling like, well, I haven't really heard this message very clearly. How come nobody's ever taken me to a passage like Zephaniah? Well, I just want to apologize on behalf of all the lame pastors at all the lame churches with all the lame Christians that now make up our nation. I'm going to apologize to you in the name of Jesus Christ that someone has given you a message of peace where there might not be peace. And I want to tell you, don't say, well, this is just what I think, or this is just what Compass Bible Church says. This is what God says in his word. 
And this is what we need to take heart to. That America is, is a nation in, in danger of being judged because of its sin. And that our entire planet at any moment will be judged like a thief in the night, like a lady going into labor. Horrific judgment is coming. The mighty man, did you see that? Look back at verse 14. The mighty man cries aloud there. Okay, so picture the toughest person you know, the Marine, the soldier, the American sniper. Picture the mighty man in the corner, fetal position, cringing, crying, openly weeping. Like the best warrior we've got. The toughest guy you can think of, he's crying because this is so overwhelming and so terrible. That's the picture that it gives us. Now, I don't want anyone here to experience this. And so this is what it says right away in verse chapter 2. Look at the message here of Zephaniah. Gather together. Yes, gather, O shameless nation, O people who should be ashamed of your sins but not. Before the decree takes effect, before this happens, before the day passes away like shaft, <coughs> before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, please seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps, maybe there's a chance you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Hey, maybe, hey, everybody gather around. If this is going to happen, if this is real, then maybe you could find a hiding place. Maybe you could escape this judgment that is going to come. So let's seek the Lord. Let's humble ourselves. Let's turn from our sin and seek righteousness. You know what Zephaniah means? You know what the name Zephaniah means? It means the Lord hides. That's what it means. It means the Lord hides. And here's a call. There's, hey, you want to play hide and go seek? There's something extremely terrible that's coming. And you need to find a hiding place now while you've got a chance. There's a place of refuge. There's a stronghold. There's a place you can go in the day of trouble and be saved, see? So how do you escape the judgment that is to come? Well, there's one place that judgment has already come. There's one place where the wrath of God has already been poured out in all of its fullness. It's already happened at one moment in history, and it was Jesus on the cross when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the Father turned away from the Son that he loves, and he poured on him his wrath, his anger for sin, the judgment that is righteous and deserved. And he paid it all on Jesus Christ. And if you go there to that cross, and you cling to that cross, and you look to Jesus by faith, that will be a hiding place for you, my friend. And you will find that there is no condemnation in Christ. That those who know Jesus will never know judgment, and God will take away the fear, God will take away the guilt, God will take away the shame, because you will be in the safest hiding place ever, in the place of Jesus Christ, and he's already taken the wrath for you. Do you know right now that Jesus took the wrath for you? Do you have that confidence? We can't mess around with this. We've got to make sure that we're ready. We've got to make sure that we're ready, and then we've got to make sure other people are ready. So have you put your trust that Jesus already took your punishment, and you've transferred your trust to him? And he's given you his righteousness because he already paid for all of your sin. That's the hiding place. The people here, they were just supposed to seek the Lord. We have a better understanding. 
of a place of refuge in the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, look at the end of Zephaniah. You might think, well, this is a terrible book. I'm never reading this again. I'm going to go rip this out of my Bible when we get home. I don't like this at all. Well, you would be then ripping out one of the most beautiful verses, I think, in all of the scripture. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, where it describes what it's like to be in the hiding place with God. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Oh, it's like God's right there with you. And all this fear, all this nervousness, all this shame, this guilt that is brought up by your sin. No, he's quieted all of that. And now it's like he's singing you a lullaby to sleep. See, sometimes when we play hide and go seek at my house, my kids get so freaked out of me and their mom that they don't want to go hide anymore. And they say, Daddy, will you hide with me this time, see? And then they feel safe. And then they start feeling tough, right? And then they giggle again and give away our hiding spot to everybody else in the house. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, right? But do you know this hiding place? This is why we talk. Why do we talk about judgment? What's the point of bringing this up ahead of time? So that you could know you're hidden today. And that when the day of the Lord comes and the judgment is just horrible. They're, they're making movies about the end of the world. They haven't made anything close to how bad it is really going to be when the judgment comes. Well, you can know that you won't be there. That you will be hidden on the day of judgment. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and just see how our passage ends. We don't just try to bring up these things just to freak people out or just to make a big point. No, there's a very specific point of why we bring up the judgment that is to come, and that's so people could know salvation this morning, here. It says in chapter 5, verse 9, later on from our passage, it says, for God has not destined us for wrath, not, not those of us who are Christians. Go back to verse 3, just a real grammatical thing here, okay? It says, <coughs> look at verse 3, well, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon, who does it refer to there? Sudden destruction will come upon who? Them, not you. See, we have a weird change of tense here. The letter of 1 Thessalonians is written from a we to a you. He's writing to his Christian people there in Thessalonica, but all of a sudden when he starts talking about the sudden destruction that is to come, he talks about a them because those people, the people who are in Christ, the people who are in the hiding place, see, they've confessed their sins and they found refuge in Jesus. No, they're not going to be there on that day of judgment. That's good news here this morning. And he says, them, well, no, here's what you're destined for. Jump back to verse 9. God has not destined us. Now he's back to talking about the Christians. We're not destined for wrath. We will never know this. No, we will obtain salvation. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us on that cross. So that whether we're awake, still alive, or asleep, we might live with him. And that's what we've been talking about in the glorious good news of the rapture. That for Christian people, we don't face the judgment. We go straight to be in Jesus' presence because he's already paid the wrath for us. Do you know this morning that you are ready for judgment and there's no fear in your hearts? Do you have that assurance of your salvation? That's what I would wish for you. And then I wish that God would stir up within you such a passion that so many people think they're fine. They think they have peace and they have security and you know the truth and we as a church need to get that message out to them. 
if you just bring people here, we will tell them from God's word the whole story, the good and the bad. And we will see God save many people before that judgment comes. You know, today is my son Jack's third birthday. So he's the baby at our house. And now he's three-year-old. And this kid, he's just a cute kid. You know how every parent thinks their kid is cute? My kid really is, okay? And this kid, he's just cute. In the morning, he comes into my room. This is how my day starts. He used to always want to play toys, Mario, whatever. These days, he's just coming in, and he's saying, good morning, Dad. And he's crawling up in bed, and he's like just putting himself on top of me. And he's just giving me the hug in the morning. In fact, his favorite thing to do is put his face right here because it's so awkward. He knows I'll start giggling, and he thinks that's hilarious. I mean, I love this kid. So I'm going to do on his birthday, his third birthday, whatever he... Orange County parent does. I'm going over the top, right? I mean, that's what we do around here, right? And we're going to get some toys and, and some cake, and it's going to be fun. But what if I said we're going to Disneyland? And what if I said not only are we going to Disneyland, we're going to Disney World for my son's third birthday? That's how awesome we are, right? And we would go, and we'd have to get in an airplane at John Wayne. You might have done this before. I've gotten on an airplane before. And you go get in there, and you get in your seat, and all of a sudden there's these people, and there's this presentation on the screens, and there are these people, and they're making all of these, like, choreographed motions. You guys know what I'm talking about? And you're not really paying attention, but all of a sudden they say stuff like, in case of a need of a water landing, and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, a water landing? Like, you start to realize, we're talking about destruction. We're talking about sudden calamity. And then these really friendly people with smiles say, and if there should be a change in the cabin pressure, oxygen will drop from the ceiling, right? And, you, and all of a sudden you sit there, you're just going to Disney World or wherever, right? And all of a sudden you realize, you're talking about my imminent demise. That's what you're talking about with that smile, right? You're talking about death. And they say something that always trips me out. They say, make sure you put your mask on yourself, you put your mask on anybody else because don't even not even with your kids they they would say and I even asked him about that once why, why wouldn't I put it on my three-year-old Jack why wouldn't I give him the oxygen first because you'll be dead that's why because the last thing your three-year-old Jack will remember about you is you choking on the ground without oxygen so before we're ready to say, yeah, judgment should come on America, and judgment should come on so-and-so, and God would be righteous to judge other people, let me ask you a question, my friend. Are you ready? Have you put the oxygen on yourself? Have you really turned from the sin in your life and really put your faith in Jesus Christ so that you could say, I now live with him because he died and took the judgment for me. See, the cabin pressure could change at any moment. Make sure you've got that oxygen. Make sure you're really alive, born again in Jesus Christ. And if you're ready, then with your oxygen on, let's start putting those masks on as many people as we can so that they will be ready for the judgment to come. Please pray with me. God, we thank you so much that you tell us the truth. That you don't just tell us what we want to hear, God, but you tell us what we need to hear. And God, I pray that you will forgive us for thinking our sin is not that big, big of a deal, that there would be such a judgment like this. God, please forgive us for thinking such little thoughts of you, not really beholding you in your holiness and your justice and your wrath over sin, God. God, we're so tempted to just want to think about the good things about you, about the good things in the world of being a Christian. 
God, thank you for this message today that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, like labor upon a pregnant woman. <clears throat> God, I pray for the souls in this room that it would just start right here with us here this morning that we in our hearts would say that we're ready. And God, if there's somebody here who doesn't know that they're ready, or maybe even God right now, they know that they're not ready to face the judgment. God, I pray that they would find that hiding place. That even now while Ryan does this song, that they would cry out to you confessing their sin in repentance and declaring faith that they believe Jesus really did die on that cross and he really did do it for their sin and he rose again so that they could be free from the judgment and have eternal life. God, help them to talk to an usher, to me, to somebody at the Compass Connect table or, or Carl here by the door. Help them to talk to somebody and not leave here not ready, God. God, for those of us who are ready, I pray that you will stir up our hearts and that we will want to spread readiness. Not, God, not that we'll necessarily go and tell people they need to turn before they burn, but we'll love people, we'll smile, we'll warn people from the Bible, we'll develop a relationship with them and care about people's souls. God, make us those kind of people, make us that kind of church. And I pray that you wouldn't be looking at what we're preaching here and not wanting people to hear it, but God, that you will amplify the message of your word so that many people will hear it here in Huntington Beach and the whole surrounding area, and that the word of the Lord will ring out, and we'll see many people saved in these last days. We pray this in Jesus' name.